16, again, the treatise, a complete and thorough, a multi-sided handling uh, of the Word of God. And uh, we've gotten down through the first five verses of this. And we come to verse 6. It says, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Now, as we are going through this first set of eight verses here, every verse in the Hebrew begins with the letter A, and uh, it is a poetry. Again, the ideas are what is being rhymed. The thoughts are being compared to each other rather than the words. This is the key to Hebrew poetry. And as the author here is going through, he starts out with where we will be if we will obey God. We're going to be undefiled. We're going to be in His way. We are going to be blessed. And oftentimes we talk about this. Who wants an unhappy life? And of course, everyone's hands go up. Uh, we all want to be miserable. No, we want a good life. And how many times have people said, well, all I was trying to do was have a good life. Uh, I think that was part of... Um, Madoff's madness, if we could say that, is he wanted a good life and he just couldn't get it through ordinary means, so he stole everybody else's money. Uh, But when it's all said and done, does he have a good life? No. The entire issue is you think that if I just take this shortcut... Everything will be fine. I think I've given the example many times that I learned automobile mechanicing, working on cars that I needed to fix. You, you get out the little Chilton's book and it tells you everything to do for in 45 simple steps. I say, sure, come on. You don't have to do every little thing they say now do. Yes, you do. Do what they tell you in the order they tell you to do it. Otherwise, you will pay for it. Uh, I remember seeing a a labor chart in an automobile shop. It said, to fix your car. Uh, This was years and years ago. I think it was $25 an hour. To give you advice on for you to fix your car, $50 an hour. To repair your car after you tried to fix it, $100 an hour. And uh, that's what we try to do with our life. God, I'm okay. I got it set. Well, God, maybe I could use just a little bit of advice. And it isn't too long before we find ourselves in a corner 
everything is going wrong, and we come back, and God is just simply saying, you could have done this right the first time, but you got to listen. And in verse 5, the, the tension, the struggle of our life is, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. God, I just wish you would put me in a little box and make me do right. Have you ever thought that? And then God starts just turning up the heat. He starts fencing us in and we go, Lord, I I was trying to be good. Why are you persecuting me? You said you wanted to be in the way. You see, the path is the narrow way that Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. But when I am in the narrow way, willingly, at God's direction, I have more freedom and more joy and more blessings than I do in the wide way Because I'm not destroying myself. Amen? Amen? How many of you have ever driven in the mountains? Not really talking about Pennsylvania. Those are... I used to think they were mountains until I went out west. My wife told me, these aren't mountains. These are just big hills. And uh, I think it was somewhere in the Catskade Mountains driving across Washington State. We came around a corner and there was 4,000 feet of nothing in front of me. And uh, I'll tell you, and I'm, I'm afraid of heights. And uh, it just, it, it, it was a terrifying experience. I still have the hair standing up on the back of my head just thinking about that thing. The roads were narrow. But as long as you stayed on the road, you were safe. I was thankful for the narrow way. I really just had no desire to go trying to make my own way when you could find 4,000 feet of nothing going around the curve that was on purpose. I just dreaded to think what I might find should I go by myself. Stay in the path. Amen. In the way. And in verse 6, David, I believe I'm with most people that David wrote this psalm. but And so I may refer to that from time to time. We don't know. It says, then shall I not be ashamed. Now, that word ashamed is used in our Bible in many different ways and times. And I'm going to kind of reverse our outline just a little bit. I want us to go to Psalm 25. Psalm 25 and verse 2. And you may know this verse. Uh, this is one of those psalms that was set to music. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul Oh, my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Skip down to verse 20. 
It says, O oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Turn over to Psalm 31, verse 17. It says, Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. Now, are you seeing a pattern here? He says, Let not the enemy triumph over me. Lord, I've put my trust in thee. Don't allow me to be ashamed. But let the enemy be ashamed. Let the enemy be silent in the grave. I mean, when we think of this idea of being ashamed, what do we think of? Oh, I, I, I said something wrong. I, I'm ashamed that I made a misspeak. Uh, please forgive me. That's what we think of shame. Uh, so far, David has a far more serious direction in this word ashamed. He's talking about defeat at the hands of the enemy. He's talking about destruction. He is talking about death. Now, almost everyone said, I was ashamed almost to death. No. But when David was facing Goliath, somebody was going to be ashamed at the end of the day. Fortunately, it was Goliath. He was ashamed, was he not? Now, he wasn't really there to experience it that much. Uh, he may have had a few fleeting seconds of, I don't think this is going the way I planned. Uh, but as the, the Bible says that that stone sunk into his forehead, uh, uh, cranial fractures in, in that part of the brain do not lead to longevity. I mean, Goliath was, was dying as his body was falling forward. He was dead when he hit the ground. The only problem was the Philistines didn't know about it yet. They fully expected him to get back up until they saw little David standing on the back, pulling Goliath's sword, on the back of Goliath, pulling Goliath's sword out of its sheath. Now, I mean, you can't come up with better drama than that in any imagination of any made-up story known to mankind. But this is what David means. He said, I put my trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed, but let the enemy be ashamed. Let the enemy be silent in the grave like Goliath. Look at Psalm 37, verse 19. Now, we've got to set this, the, the pattern for this. Look at verse 18. It says, The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be how long? Forever they shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine. They shall be satisfied, but the wicked shall perish. And the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke. They shall consume away. This idea of being ashamed that he's talking about is death. 
and destruction. It is defeat. And we go back to Psalm 119. And by the way, it's interesting. Just a little note. We're not going to make a big deal about it. Every place the word ashamed is used up to this point and through up to Psalm 119, David was the writer of the psalm. So just a little thought there. It doesn't prove that David wrote Psalm 119, but it's just something in that direction. And it gives us an idea. He says, he is not saying, I hope I'm not going to be ashamed. He says, then shall I not be ashamed. If you remember last time we were together, we went to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and it says, if you will take diligence to add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance godliness, and it goes on through that list there up to brotherly kindness and charity. And then it says, for if ye do these things, ye shall never what? shall never fall. David says, listen, I'm not going to be ashamed. It is not going to happen. Now, here's why. When I have respect unto thy commandments. Uh, Somebody was watching. Skipped one little word there now, didn't I? When I have respect unto all, all thy commandments. Now, before we get too too far into this verse, I want us to go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we're going to see another progression as we did in Peter. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Um, Stephen, how about you turn around and share your Bible with Philip? Yeah, I know, but Stephen doesn't have one. He needs to share one. So let's, let's take this thing properly here. Now share with Stephen, all right? It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience And patience, experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, we could, I'll tell you, we could spend all night on just this word ashamed here, but get the idea of what the psalmist is saying You know, we've heard an awful lot in the past year about hope and change and how that we should hope that things are going to get better. Now, things have changed. Uh, Our effective unemployment rate is now pushing close to 20%. 
That is people that cannot find work, people who lose their jobs, and people who have given up looking for jobs. That is terrifying. Things have changed. But why aren't they changing for the better? Because they're not connected to the progression of things that are in this passage here. You see, until you put your faith in trusting God, your tribulations are not going to work patience. Until you understand that God is the one that is in control that he is the one that has the right to tell you what is in the way and what is out of the way. He is the one that has the right to tell you what is right and what is wrong. Uh, I used to be very apologetic as a young preacher. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I, I don't say that anymore. I'm going to tell you what God says you ought to do with your life. Now, if you don't do it, I'm sorry, the first thing I'm going to do when everything falls apart is I'm going to tell you, you didn't get here by obeying God. But God is a forgiving God, and if you'll let him turn you around and put you back in the way, you cannot go back and get what was lost, but you can save that which the future holds. Amen? And this is our hope. When I see God doing a work in my life that allows me to touch and truly care about another human being, that's love. Amen? Someone once said, if you have enough true friends to fill the fingers of one hand, you are a most fortunate human being. And stop and think about that. But then I think about all of the true friends that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have to start getting out fingers and toes and calculators and and, uh, acabus if you want to go that way. Just sit there, slide the little things over. Because in Jesus Christ, hey, guess what? We can truly care and love each other and lift each other up and keep moving forward because God wants to do his work of love in my heart. And when that happens, I will have the boldness to serve God. You know why it's so difficult to serve God sometimes and why we struggle so much to just be obedient to the word of God It's because we're not letting God do his work when he brings troubles into our life. It's the difference between the life of Joseph and the life of Jacob. How many of you remember the sermon Jacob was waiting to, when he saw the wagons, his soul revived. Uh, Not until the end of his life, 17 years before he died, did he finally give up and trust God. Joseph had been doing it all along. His life was a lot different than his father's. The psalmist here, as he is telling us in this verse, he says, I shall not be 
ashamed. And if David wrote this psalm, as that word is used in these other psalms, as we looked over when he was talking about ashamed, he was talking about death and defeat. How many times did David put his life as, as we would say, and the Bible said, Jonathan said he put his life in his hand when he went out to face the giant. Now, David said, I'm not going to be ashamed. But then he puts that little modifier in there, that adverb, that little word that connects everything when. Uh, I'm not 100% confident yet. But when I have respect unto all thy commandments. By the way, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Jesus, let's go there and read that verse. Let's go there and read. Jesus is not ashamed. Twice in the book of Hebrews, and we'll look at both verses here very quickly. Hebrews chapter 2, it says, For both he that sanctifieth, verse 11, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. I don't know if you've ever really been shamed by a family member. I mean, someone who was there that you just, you just didn't want to admit that there was a connection between you and that person. I'll tell you what, I've, I've had to deal with that in the family of God, people who call themselves Christians and do things publicly. Where everybody can watch. I remember we used to have a group of people who were very, very zealous for Jesus. And they would stand on Steinway Street right there in the corner. And they would grab their Bibles. And as you were walking by, they would literally scream in your ear and shake the Bible at you. You're going to hell! I'll tell you what, I was ashamed. And people would say, are you with them? I said, no, we're independent Baptists. Amen. We don't endorse that kind of behavior. I don't believe this book endorses that kind of behavior. And I want you to pray something that we need. We need to get back out on the street. We've got to get this van hooked up and get the street preaching uh, set up again. I love to preach on the street. But not that way. We're not here to needlessly offend people. I'm not trying to prove how tough I am. I can scream at somebody passing on the street. <laughs> oh, come on. Give me a break. I had one guy tell me, he says, well, my job is to scare Catholics. I said, you know, brother, I thought our job was to win them to the Lord. That's what I thought our job was. And... Jesus knows everything about you and I, but he's not ashamed to call us brethren.
he will identify with us. By the way, what did he say about people who were ashamed to identify with him? He said, if you're ashamed to name my name in this world, I'm going to be ashamed to name your name in the world to come. You better check your Christianity out. If you have a living relationship with the living Savior, you cannot deny him. Amen? One of the big battles in the early church, quote-unquote, we use that term lightly, was what do we do with people who were members of the church and when the Roman legion showed up, Jesus, I never heard of him. I'm not one of those Christians. And then they came back a little while later after the danger was gone and said, Oh, I was so foolish for denying Jesus. Please forgive me and let me be a deacon in the church again. That's a tough one to deal with, is it not? And they had many, many arguments. And they said, well, listen, this is what the Bible says. If you'll deny me, I'm going to deny you. So they wouldn't let him back in the church. And another person came up with the idea, well, God forgives all sin, so let's, let's just not worry about it. And you say, what's the answer, Pastor? God will sort that one out on Judgment Day. It's not for you and I to sort out. There are just some things we don't know. But I'll tell you what the Bible teaches us. If you're going to live for the world and live for the moment, you will be ashamed. The psalmist here says, I'm not going to be ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed to name us as his brethren. I am sure that he is ashamed of many of the things that we do. But he is not ashamed to name us as his brethren. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 16 says, Accounting that God, um, I'm sorry, verse 16 but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I'll tell you what, that word ashamed is an incredible little word. It means a whole lot more than your face turning red and somebody laughing at you. David said, listen, I want my enemies to be ashamed. That meant defeat. I want them to be silent in the grave. That means death. And David was looking how many times did David stare death in the face as he was in battle after battle, as Saul was chasing him, as all of these things befell him. David said, listen, if he wrote this psalm, then shall I not be ashamed. But we got to move on to the second half of this verse. When I have respect unto all thy commandments. Now, how are you going to get respect unto all God's commandments? Well, number one, you're going to have to read the Bible. Amen. Number two, you're going to have to listen when... When the preacher preaches, and I'm not trying to just say, hey, you got better listen to what I say. I'm trying to say is 
When I tell you what the Bible says, you check it out. If it's Bible, then, then there better be a change in behavior to agree with the Scripture. Not because I have authority, because I have no authority of myself. I am a sheep just like you are sheep. But my job as a sheep, my part in this body of Christ is to be a pastor. Each of us have a duty to fulfill and we need to serve the Lord together. Amen? And so he's saying, listen, when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Now I think the key to understanding that phrase is look at the verse in front of it. Oh, that my ways were, what? Directed to keep thy statutes. Who is going to direct you? Who is going to help you have respect unto all God's commandments? It's the work that God does in your heart. But so much of the time, What is the biggest problem when we deal with respect? The A word, attitude. Yeah. How many times do I talk to my children? Yeah, you're doing what's right. But the attitude is what the problem is. And that attitude better get fixed because I'm about to break the one that's there. That's not the way we ought to be. That's not the way we look at God. And if we're not careful about our attitude, we're not going to have respect. Now, here's where you get your attitude. Luke chapter 17. The disciples were with Jesus and he was just pronounced to them that you're going to offend people. Offenses are going to come. He said, but woe unto you. Woe unto him through whom offenses come. And we come here down to verse 5. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. He said, They said, listen, if... If we've got to be so careful about this thing of offending other people and the idea of an offense is not what we think of today. Again, we have so trivialized life. Oh, I was offended at that remark. Oh, go get a wife, please. The word offense means to hinder another's faith. To hinder someone from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the word offense means. It is a serious charge. And the disciples said, if we're not going to do that, if we're not going to offend, we're going to have to have more faith. And they were exactly correct. And the, Jesus gave them the story, the parable we would say, of the mustard seed. That if you could just have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, put it in there, you would have all the faith you need. It's not, uh, we say it many different ways. 
It's not the amount of the Holy Spirit that you have. It's how much of you the Holy Spirit has. Amen? It's not how much faith that you have. Faith is an incredible thing. You do not need very much to see absolutely unbelievable things accomplished. How much faith do you think you possessed when you got saved? Let me tell you something. It was a minuscule amount. But it translated your soul from eternal damnation to eternal salvation. That's a wonderful thought now, isn't it? How much faith does it take on your part to be obedient to God's Word? Again, that little grain of the mustard seed. But let's talk again about this attitude here because the attitude is what determines the whole thing. The attitude makes or breaks this idea of respect. Look at verse 10. He gave the sermon or this, the idea of the servant. He said, you got a servant. He's out working in the field all day. When he comes into the house, do you tell him, listen, you've been working in the field all day. Sit down, have your dinner, and then I'll have mine. No, you tell him to wash up, serve me my dinner, and after I'm done everything, then you can have your time. He says, does he thank the servant because he did those things which were commanded him? I love this verse. I trow not. He said, you're kidding me. Don't give me that. He says, you don't thank someone for doing what they were supposed to do. We live in a world where we're supposed to get a medal for just showing up. No, it takes effort. Here's the attitude, verse 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. There's the attitude. You want God to direct you to have direct your ways? Here's where you start. God did not get anything but more trouble the day I got saved. But God said, I'm not ashamed of you. If you'll serve me, I'll keep you in the way. How many of you noticed this correlation in your life? The temptations rise as time in the Word falls. Hmm? Does it work that way? Almost certainly does. The farther I step away from the Lord, the more problems and the more sin and the more wrong I'm going to want to do. And the easier it is to do that wrong. The more time I spend in this book, the more time I spend around God's people, the more time I spend being obedient to God's Word. That's what the psalmist meant when he said, They do no iniquity who walk in thy ways. Verse 3. I think I quoted that pretty close. It says, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. 
the more obedient you are to Christ, the less time you have to sin. You put the strangler on that thing. I don't have time. How many of you have found when you just have time to sit there and you say, Oh, I just need to relax. Uh, it's just been so stressful. And you, and you say, I'm just going to sit here and, and relax. Maybe I'll just turn on the TV. All of a sudden, something comes on. You ought not be watching. What happens? Oh, it's just one little scene. It'll be over short. Then something else, and then something else, and then something else. Somebody comes and they get you all irritated. That temper flares up. You get in the way. You'll find out it's a whole lot less temptations out there. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Now, this was written in the Old Testament. Does anybody remember the number of commandments? I don't think you remember. Do you? How many? No. I knew that's what he was going to say. Six hundred and thirteen laws in the Old Testament. In Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Anybody want to start on the first ten? Well, I, I think I can remember that. Well, I know the big two. Well, wait a minute. It says, when I shall have respect unto all thy commandments. If the moment you got saved, we handed you some kind of book. And it said, now, this is everything you need to do as a Christian. Now, I'm talking about just... Not like the Bible where you have to go searching and you find all these wonderful things that lead us in that direction. But just right here. Do this. Do this. Don't do this. Do this. Do this. Don't do this. You'd say, that's not going to happen. But as you let God change you and work in your heart, he brings them about in his time in his way. Amen? And this is what the psalmist is saying. Listen, listen. I'm an unprofitable servant. I just did with that which my duty was to do because I don't have respect unto all thy commandments, yet I'm still working on that. But when I do, I know one thing for sure. I am never going to be ashamed. I will not suffer defeat. Now, David suffered many defeats in his life. He committed some great sins. And even right there before the end of his reign as king, he had numbered Israel against the law of God. Why did he do that? Well, the Bible says that the nation had sinned. And God was going to judge the nation. And he put David in a position 
and David wasn't walking with the Lord as he should have. And he allowed himself to number Israel to disobey God's law. And you know what? It was very simple. All David had to do was read the book of Deuteronomy. It says, Thou shalt not number the people just to know the number. It said you were supposed to take a, a poll every so many years, and when you did, there was an offering involved, and there was a process that was outlined. David just wanted to know how strong and how powerful a king he was. Do you think that's why he may have said, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes? I mean, this is a summary. Someone has described Psalm 119 as the life prayer journal of the writer. I almost wonder if the first eight verses were the last ones written. I don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know about this psalm. But we do know that these first eight verses summarize everything else that is in the psalm. They are dealing with the work of the Word of God in anyone's life who will allow God's work, Word to do its work. These are not things we try. We have so many, we, oftentimes, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody is, somebody will say, how are you doing? Well, I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can. That attitude is not, oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy testimonies, thy statutes. That is not the attitude of having respect unto all thy commandments. Because it's not based on how hard I try. It's based on God's work in my life. And if you don't get in this book, God will not work. It's just that simple. And so, I think what we'll do, since it is 8.30, is we will stop right here. And it says, Then shall I not be ashamed. It says, For then ye shall never fall. For then shall an entrance be ministered unto abundantly into the kingdom. That's, that's Second Peter. He says, when I have respect unto all thy commandments, if I am obeying God's law, I don't have to worry about defeat. You know why so many people flunk out of Christianity? Because they're not trying to have respect unto all his commandments. Now, I like food buffets, don't you? I like to go through and pick what I want and leave all the other things that are there. And I do pick vegetables on occasion. But I want to make sure to get all that good stuff too, right? But it doesn't work that way with God's Word. I could tell you stories, and I'm just not going to do it, not because of time, but because I'm not going to give you the details. But I have seen people lose their very lives 
over something as simple as not being baptized the Bible way. I've seen people lose everything just because they didn't want to follow what the Bible said. God is not going to give you any more until you start doing what you have. You take those little things and God will present it to you. You will know that God is working in your heart. I've had so many times people have come up, some of you right here come up different times, Pastor, you just spoke to my heart today. Well, that's not Pastor, that's the Holy Spirit of God. And he's presenting something to you that needs attention. Don't wait till tomorrow, get it done. That's having respect unto all thy commandments. God, when you give me something here, uh, you're directing me to keep thy commandment. You're giving me this thing. You, you have commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Because I want to be undefiled in the way. Because that's where the blessings are. I want to be that blessed man that keeps the testimonies of God and that is able to seek God with our whole heart. You ever wonder sometimes why you can't pray the way you want to pray? Well, here's what it is. There's some, that heart isn't whole. The way is not undefiled. There's something in there that is pulling us out. That is slowing us down. That is giving us a different direction than God wants in our life. And as we allow that to happen, we can't seek Him with the whole heart. And if we can't seek Him with the whole heart, we can't keep His precepts diligently. We can't be undefiled in the way. We cannot keep His law or His testimonies. And what happens? We will be ashamed. But if you want God to make you not ashamed, you get into that book. I've often told people that are struggling with salvation, say, I just, I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure about anything. I said, the simplest thing is you've got to read. You've got to be under this book. You've got to be under the preaching. You've got to be under the reading of this book. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. He said, you want to increase faith? I'm an unprofitable servant. I just have done that, which is my duty to do. That's the attitude that makes me have respect unto all his commandments. Not just the ones that are, this one's really going to help me. No, they all will help you. Every one of them. God has a purpose. And if we'll just follow them, He'll give us His grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You and we ask that You would do Your work in our life, in our church, as we study this psalm. And Lord, I pray that You would challenge each one that is here tonight to get into Your Word in a meaningful way, to read over this psalm, to read over the, the verses that we are studying at least, at least once or twice a week, if not every day, just eight verses. As we move through this psalm, Lord, we ask that Your Word would accomplish 
what you would have it to accomplish in each soul. In Jesus' name we pray.